Hello, everybody in television land. By the way, those of you who are watching, and I don't know how many are watching, uh, hopefully one day you can come on back and see us again. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I'm interfering with the conversation over here. Excuse me. Good morning, Cody. How are you? What, I'm not on? One, two, can you hear me now? Is this too much? So for those of you who haven't been here yet, uh, let us encourage you to come. Uh, It's okay in here, correct, everybody? It's okay. It's safe. God's presence is here. He's ministering. But thank you for tuning in on television or whatever they call it, online or whatever it is. This morning we're continuing talking about God's love. And I believe that the activity of God's love reveals, I think, just me personally, Linda, my thought, I think the activity of God's love reveals what seems to me the most profound revelation of the character of God. And it's bound up with God's love. It's not separate. Because as you remember, the attributes of God are not separate from one another, although we can consider them and look at them and study them distinctly from one another, correct? You understand that. But they are not separate. They are collectively and comprehensively who God is. And so always as we look at the person of God and study the Word of God, we must make sure we don't separate God from himself or any activity of God from himself as we are considering an aspect of the whole. Makes sense. And so it also applies to what we're talking about this morning. This love of God, in my mind, and we talked about this last week, reveals the most profound and amazing virtue of God. What is that? It's this stooping down, this condescension, this lowering of himself positionally, this deferring, to others who are not just a little less than he is, but who are infinitely, infinitely less than who he is. This humility of God. And as we continue, I think it's so important, and I believe I think this way because it's the Holy Spirit's will. To be sure that we 
see and understand something about the humility of God himself in order to be able to recognize the activity or the lack of activity of humility in our lives. And as we recognize especially the lack of humility in our lives, the lack of God's humility on time, God's humility, not fleshly humility. And as we recognize the lack to cooperate with God the way he has given us to do so, as he engenders or increases or enlarges, if you would. What, what word do you use for this? The activity and the, the, just the activity of his humility in us, which we'll talk about actually, which Keith is already talking about in a particular area, humble yourselves, but we'll get to that. So you remember last week we saw this, that Jesus tells us that he is humble in heart. Remember that? And then we saw in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, perhaps the most astounding passage concerning the definition, the mechanics, if you would, the activity, the expression of what the divine humility is. So let me read it to you again. First of all, let me take a little water. This radiator system of mine. Mm. And let me read it again. And don't just listen to the words, but allow the Holy Spirit to take the words that he is speaking to us about the Son of God and allow those words to penetrate our hearts, not only our minds, because too often we read the word intellectually and don't allow it to become experiential in us. We don't allow it to touch our feelings and our emotions because the word does two things. It is an intellectual revelation that translates itself by the Holy Spirit into an experiential revelation. Does that make sense to you? It is both. We can say, God loves me, and that's intellectual. I can say that. God, lo- But it is the most profound experience that we'll ever have about anything. Amen? So listen to these words. These words that are spoken about the eternal, majestic, creator, preeminent, whatever, God. This is God the Son that we're talking about here. And the Holy Spirit gives this revelation to the Apostle Paul. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What kind of God is this? Do you feel this this morning? Do you feel it? 
What kind of a God is this? And that God, this humble Son of God, who has taken to himself our humanity in the incarnation, he now lives in us, and his own humility in his self-emptying of the expression, as A.J. reminded us last week, not the possession, but the expression of his divine power. He emptied himself of the use of his own, the expression of his own power in order to live in weakness among us. What kind of a God is this? And that humility has now been deposited into our hearts. Amen? Because if we have the Son, we have his character in us. Correct? The love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so the humility of the Son of God is given to us and expressed and received by us in humility. So this passage has two words, two words that exemplify the essence of Jesus' humility. Two words in here exemplify the essence and the activity of the humility of the Lord Jesus, and therefore that exemplify and express the essence of what humility, what his humility looks like in us. What are those two words? Is it in, are they in your notes? The words grasp and emptied. The words grasp and empty. These two words the Holy Spirit gives us in this passage to say this is the essence of what the humility of the Son of God is. All the other words are descriptives of what happens and what, you know, and, and etc. They are all a a backup, if you would, a building of the results of empty and grasp. Humility is the activity of emptying, of grasping. Humility is the activity of emptying, of grasping. Did you get that? Did you see how they go? Jesus, who was in the form of God, what does that mean? Who was himself God the Son, equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit forever, possessing the totality of the divine being and essence and attributes with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He refused in his incarnation to grasp, to take hold of, to use, to depend upon, to brag about. His own, human, uh, his own divinity. And how did he not grasp? He emptied himself of that expression in order to demonstrate what humility can do in us and what it really looks like in a man. Jesus emptied himself of grasping for that which was not in keeping with his Father's will. That's the essence of what humility is. He refused to grasp for anything 
at any time and for any reason that was not of his father's will, that was not pleasing to God. He refused to grasp. And how did he refuse to grasp? He emptied himself of that grasping. And as a result of that, everything that Jesus does as a man, everything that the Son of God experiences in this man, Jesus, and we're talking about right now a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit, who lives upon this earth, and who moment by moment, every breath of his body is a breath to say, I do not grasp for anything apart from my Father's will. I am empty of all grasping. I do nothing for my own personal, fleshly, human benefit. But what I do, I do for the benefit of my Father. That's what humility is. Emptied is the activity that is focused on God's benefit. He him, his. You see, he emptied himself. Why? Because his focus was to do all for the Father's will. And so anything that was contrary to he, him, and his, Jesus refused. He emptied himself of that. He refused to grasp for that. You see, grasping is the work that is focused on on the flesh. I, me, mine. That's grasping. Do you remember the first time we see grasping in the uh, Bible? You should. We've already talked about it, and I may have put it in your notes last week. Genesis 3, 6. Remember when Eve was being deceived? Hey, look at that tree. Look at, look at that fruit. Mm-mm. Just think, if you take that fruit, you can be as God. You can grasp for divinity. Don't you see it? You can grasp, get a hold of, on your own, for your own benefit. You can get something about God and from God for your own benefit. And we still do that as believers, don't we? Getting something for God for our benefit. Do you see it? We're to be emptied of that. And get something from God for his benefit. Right, Mary? His benefit, not my benefit. His benefit benefits me. But the primary focus is not my benefit, but my benefit in receiving his benefit. It is his benefit that we are after, which is our benefit. And so what happened? The Bible said she took, she grasped. Did did you see Did you read the book? Did you see the movie at least? The activity of all human flesh, the activity of all sin, the activity of the natural person, natural meaning apart from the Spirit of God and the work of God, the activity of the fallen humanity is grasping grasping and Jesus came into this world of grasping and emptied himself of that grasping as a man he had needs he got hungry 
He was tired. He was lonely. But he never, ever did anything to assuage any of his human needs in preference for God's benefit. Do we see that? Are you with me today? He did not grasp for anything that benefit his own personal humanity apart from the will of God. Now, we're not talking about beating yourself because, you know, we're talking about apart from the will of God. <clears throat> that which benefited him personally, if it's the will of God, he went with it. But if it wasn't the will of God, he stayed away from it. He emptied himself of this. Empty, it has to do with that word of humility, work of humility which refuses to grasp for personal benefit and preference for God's benefit. I think I've already said all this. Jesus' life was characterized by his self-emptying of any temptation of personal self-benefit. Emptied receives the works and walks in the love of God. Grasping rejects God's love. The only way to receive this love of God is in humility. So when the Holy Spirit comes to us, he creates in us first a humble heart that responds what? Father, that we call out what? To God. That we causes us and allows us and gives us empowerment to what? Ungrasp our sin. Remember, it's called what? Repent. Repent. To ungrasp our sin. Stop grasping for our sin, our personal justification, our explanation of why this is wrong. It's wrong because of something else. To ungrasp that, to let it go, to empty ourselves of that in order to receive the love of God. You see, we didn't even receive the love of God apart from humility. Humility is the door that the Holy Spirit opens in which the love of God comes flooding into our hearts. It is the very ground and path and vehicle, if you would, of the activity and the flow and the flourishing of God's word, I mean, God's love through his word. Do we see that? So when you, we think of humility, we must think of it, I think, in the simplest terms. Allowing the Holy Spirit. Did you just hear what I said? Allowing the Holy Spirit through his various means. It could be that Anna Chatelaine is used by the Holy Spirit to communicate something. Be unusual. But it could be that way. It could be that the Holy Spirit uses someone in your face yelling and screaming at you about a problem. It could be. It could be the Holy Spirit gives you a dream. A, a, you're reading your word. You, whatever. He has all kinds of means of communicating his will, doesn't he? He's not restricted, is he? Where was I going with this? Say it again. <clears throat> And the only way we can receive this is in humility. Because what happens when we are convicted of wanting, doing, thinking, or whatever something we want to do? 
Any of you ever feel the wrestling in your heart? Anybody ever feel a wrestling match? Because you're grasping. It's the flesh. It's the enemy saying, don't let go. Don't let go. Because if you let go, guess what's going to happen? If you let go, they may say this. If you let go, you won't be able to. You're not going to exonerate yourself. You have to. And he says, Holy Spirit says, let go. And I have to make a decision, Carolyn, to do what? I let go. Stop grasping. Empty myself of that grasping activity and receive what the Holy Spirit gives to me. That's the essence of the battle in us, of the flesh and the spirit, especially as you read about it in Galatians chapter 5, 16 and 17. I think of the two primary verses that I'm thinking of. So let's, let's quickly look at three examples, examples of what this emptying, grasping, what this humility looks like in three examples of God's people. Other than the Lord Jesus, if I were to ask you, what are the three greatest biblical men other than Jesus? We should say, first of all, Abraham. He is the preeminent example of a man justified by what? Faith. A man who receives the verdict of justification of being righteous He receives it by faith because he trusts in God. Correct? You remember Genesis chapter 15. You may have read the book. And I think it's verse 6. And that activity of Abraham was justified by faith is repeated four times in the Bible. Four times. It's important. Who is the... And then another man, Moses. I mean, Moses... And then who in the New Testament? Paul. I don't know if I can give you three more central men in the entire Bible. But it's not, you know, it's just what I felt to talk about. So let's look at Abraham. You remember Abraham in chapter 12, what happened? The Lord came to Abraham and he says, Abraham, in chapter 12, get up, get out of your area. Move over to West Wego. Huh? <laughs> well, it could have been Shalmad. Come on. Move away from where you are and all your mom and them and your friends and your relatives and everything. Get out of town. Leave the Ur of the Chaldees and go into a place, a country that I will show you because I will give you this country as your inheritance. And I'm going to bless you and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to, and he gives you him, gives Abraham, seven I wills in the first several verses of chapter 12 of Genesis. I am, I will, I will, I will, I I will. In order for Abraham to do this, he had to empty himself of the grasping of what he had in Cana. I'm sorry, in the Ur of the Chaldees. Do you see it? In order to walk in it by faith, the activity of his faith was ungrasping, emptying of the grasping so he can move out. Okay. Now, this is a man who is a sheik. Do you know what a sheik is? A sheik in those days, and I, they may still have, this is a guy who is a, like the, the ruler of a small kingdom. When Abraham leaves, all kind of people go with him. We're not talking about some old lady and man wandering through the wilderness with one camel. 
We're talking about a man who in chapter 14 has 300 and some odd men of his own men go and attack all these kings. We're talking about a, 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 a king of a small country, if you would, moving through the desert. That's who we're talking about. This man is somebody. This is a royal man in the area, in the natural. He is somebody. We don't have the image of Abraham and Sarah walking through the desert and what we're going to do. That's not who this man is. This is a man of prominence, of monumental wealth, of significant authority. Get the vision of who Abraham is. He is somebody. And why do we build that up? Because look how he defers. I think... Sometimes I don't know if I should say certain things. I think the essence and the most central activity of anyone who is called to be a leader, elder, pastor, father, anyone, who is called to be a leader. I think the essence of that is deference. Do you know what I mean by that? Deferring. Humility. And we see this in these three men. The Holy Spirit accentuates this Certainly other leadership, you do this, follow me, obey. But there's something in that that God is revealing, not just a man giving orders and follow me and do this and do that, and all those are appropriate. But there's a work here that comes from this leader that engenders in the hearts of his people a great desire and a willingness to follow. And that comes as this leader empties himself of that which is of his own and for his own and something about himself and pours himself humbly into the hearts and into the lives, into the activities of these people. So look at the passage. Is it mapped out for you? Abraham, in chapter 13, you'll see it, was very rich. And then he goes on. But Lot, remember Lot is his nephew. They're together. Abraham and Lot are living on the hillside, all the green pasture. Lot's people and Lot's herds are so big, and they're clashing with Abraham's herds. We're talking about a lot of people here. And so... Lot said, look, we're having trouble here. My, my people and your people clashing one another. We need to deal with this. What does Abraham, this leader, this man who has the right to tell Lot what to do, how to do it, when to do it, why to do it, and everything else about the doing of it. Abraham has that right because God has given Abraham the authority. Do we see it? 
I'm the man. I run this show. You listen to me. And what does he say to Lot? Do you see it in your word there? Is it written down for you? What does he say? Somebody tell me. I don't remember, right? What does he say? What is Ab- How does Abraham respond to Lot's request or demand, really? Somebody read it. Please what? Please, 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 please first, please. What a deference. We're too quick with the word. Not you, Troy. Do we see that? No, no, get it. Get it. This is the Son of God giving us the example of himself in Abraham, David. This is the Son of God giving us the example of himself, Renee. Please. What kind of, Cody, what kind of a God is this? Please do what? Let there be no what? Strive. You decide, Lot, where to live, and I'll live in the other place. You decide. If you want the nice, green, lush, you go there, and I'll go up in these mountain areas where it's not nearly as nice. Please. What, what, what kind of condescension and what kind of deference is this? Do you see this? This is the essence of God's love in us and for us. It explains and reveals the Son's deference to the Father's will. Equal in every respect. And yet says, Father, I will set aside my personal prerogatives in order to serve you. And then he comes as a child. And this mighty son of God lowers himself to the place where his mother has to change his diapers, has to feed him. He has to learn. He has to go to school. He has to be trained. And he goes out into the wilderness and then he submits himself to the temptation of this arch enemy. And he comes out into the land in the power of the Holy Spirit and begins to minister to his people and begins to defer to the weaknesses of the people and of his disciples carefully, slowly, patiently, kindly, gently, faithfully. Do you hear the fruit of the Spirit? Ministering to their needs at the cost of his own personal humanity. That's a leader. That's a leader. Look at the next uh, example. Exodus. Moses, you remember that? He says, he's out in the plains of Midian. He's, you know, has married and has been out there for 40 years. He's left Egypt. 40 years. And he's tending the sheep the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, or Ruel, just both names. And he's out there, and he sees on the side of this mountain called Horeb, 
or Sinai, H-O-R-E-B. He sees a fire. And, you know, we've been out in the desert. We've seen brush. You know, okay, that's nothing. So what? Warren, I've seen that before. So he looks at it, sees it, and walks on, right? A moment or two later, Jamal, he looks back, and he what? The thing's still what? Burning. Well, okay, it's a big bush. But, you know, several minutes later, Charles, this thing is still burning, and what happens? I got to go see what this is all about. Do you see the Holy Spirit calling Moses? Moses ain't calling upon God. God is calling upon Moses. And so he comes before the bush. And the Lord God, Yahweh himself, says, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes from off your feet. For the very ground on which you stand is holy ground. And Moses takes off his shoes. Anything of man's works, you see. Anything of man's work, stand in the natural, depleted of anything of your own work. And God Almighty gives Moses the direction, this is what you're going to do. One, two, three. Won't go through the details, but you remember, God gives Moses. Moses comes down from the mountain with the very word and command of God Almighty to go to Pharaoh and to do what? Through the signs and wonders, free God's people. Is that correct? This is chapter 4 that begins, remember. If anybody has a right of authority to rule and to, you know, to lead and to command and to demand, and that goes for any of us in whatever situation, Moses is the man. Moses. He has his rights, his esteem, his meaning of who he is and what he's going to do and how people relate to him. Everything is tied up with this. And so he comes back. And he goes to Jethro's house. Remember, Jethro was his father-in-law. And he's under the human He's under the human, what? He's under the human or natural authority of Jethro. But who's Jethro? Jethro doesn't know God like Moses does. He didn't get the command, Chris. Jethro didn't hear any command. So if anybody in the natural has a right to go in to say what? Jethro, this is what's going down. Ronnie, I'm leaving. I'm going to Egypt. I'm the man. I have the credentials. In the natural, does, that, does anybody, does he have that right? In the natural, does he have that right? Yes. Somebody read me what he says to Jethro. Go ahead, read again, brother. You are loud. I like that. Please. Please. Do you get it? Oh, let it ring your heart. This man has just been in the face of God. Has been given the very command of God, Harold. There can't be any more authoritative work than that. 
and he comes back to his father-in-law. And the first words out of his mouth is what? Please. Do you, it is an expression of the humility of the Son of God in Moses. You see, the gospel is a combination, and we forget this, of message and method. And the gospel suffers so much because the method of the gospel is not significant humility of the people of God. It is the humility of the Son of God that is on absolute incredible display in the gospel of God. We don't think that way. Do we think that way? Are you with me this morning? We don't think that way. But this is it. The humility of this God of ours is known to us and displayed and accentuated in what? The gospel. So the gospel is certainly about the glory of God, but the glory of God is tied up in the humility of God. And he says, please do what? What is he asking? David, I mean, uh, Troy, keep going. Oh, my word. Listen to this. Please let me go back. Would you give me permission to go back? And then the last one comes from what? What book? Galatians what? You see in Galatians 2, Paul says, I went back to Jerusalem of those of repute. Who is Paul? Paul is the one whom God has taken into his very presence. And you will read this a little bit about it, if you would, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He goes up to paradise, to the third heaven, and he receives revelation, revelation, and is sent back, remember, to teach and preach and manifest that revelation. It's the revelation of the church. Moses was given the pattern, the skeleton of it, Paul is given the reality of it in Christ. It's the same, one's a shadow and one's a reality. He comes back from the very presence of the Lord Jesus in the heavens, having been taught and instructed and sent by Jesus to go back and teach this gospel. And what does he do? He says, I went up to do what? I did what? What word is that you use there? It starts with an S, I think. I do what? what? Submitted. Submitted. Submitted what? What, what did he submit? This revelation that was given to him in case what? He was doing, in case he had been found to be doing what? Go read the rest of the verse. What does it say? Say it again. Running in what? Uselessly vain. What kind of deference is this? He's going to talk to three men especially, Peter, John, and James. And he's going to give them a revelation that he's received that these three men have had an inkling of but have not yet seen the way Paul has seen it and to the extent. And here's the question. Can he trust them to say yes or no? He cannot. He trusts the God who gave him the revelation. 
that they will say yes. Are you with me? The deference, the humility, the lowering, the serving, the shepherding, the caring, the compassion, everything we have from God is through the humility of the Lord Jesus. And everything that God will do in us is through the same humility of the Lord Jesus. Now, this should say something, it certainly does to me, about who I am and how I am and about this battle in me between grasping and emptying. Amen? So, next week, you pray that I get the rest of the story from the Holy Spirit.